every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Susan Bierman, CMO of Navex Global, a governance, risk, and compliance software that provides customers with a better way to manage risks. Susan is a three-time CMO with over 30 years of top-level experience in key marketing leadership positions, including two separate roles where she contributed to acquisitions via Oracle and Salesforce. On this episode, Susan delves into how she uses her mantra, Think Global, as a way to guide her teams, why she believes her website is her number one salesperson, and why marketers need to take more risks in a noisy world. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Susan Bierman, CMO of Navex Global, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by our special guest, Susan, how are you? I'm great. Nice to be here, Ian. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Um, great to be chatting about Navex Global and all the cool stuff that you're doing and, and obviously your background. So let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? So my first job in marketing was at Microsoft, actually. I, I, prior to that, I, I was in sales for several years with IBM. I um, made a conscious decision to switch to marketing. I was a, a typical salesperson who thought, oh, I can do marketing because everyone thinks they can do marketing, right? And then I got into marketing and I'm like, oh, I have so much to learn. And so I was at Microsoft for about five, five and a half years. And uh, in that time, I was just a sponge and I, I switched around. I had five or six different jobs um, just so that I could learn marketing. And that was really my MBA in marketing was at Microsoft. And you have been a CMO a couple times. You've been uh, running marketing at a bunch of great organizations. And tell me a bit about your current role at Navex Global. Yeah, so I'm um, an executive vice president and chief marketing officer. And so I... I'm responsible for all aspects of marketing, everything from brand to demand gen, of course, customer advocacy, events, PR, product marketing. And I also have um, partners. So there's partnerships that we have that are managed by my team as well. And for those of our listeners who don't know, can you share more about Navex Global? Sure. So Navex Global um, has been around for about 16 years. So we're not a startup, although we are privately held. And we're in the um, enterprise software market and our solutions are commonly known as GRC, Governance, Risk and Compliance. Um, So we um, really help our companies, our customers build ethical cultures, make sure that they are adhering to regulatory compliance and also effectively identify and manage any risk 
that they may have, as we all do in our businesses. And um, most recently, very exciting, we acquired a company and have entered into the ESG environmental, social, and governance space. So um, increasingly, companies and particularly investors are not just looking forward at the balance sheets of companies and, and their, their profits, et cetera, profits and growth, but they're also looking at, are they good corporate citizens and uh, are they do they care about the environment and sustainability, et cetera. So it's a really great job and a great company where I feel like we are making a, a positive difference for our customers and, and for the world. It's really cool. I mean, I'm it's one of my favorite topics, talking sustainability and, and what companies are doing. And when you see, you know, here in the Bay Area, especially because I'm around it all the time, it's so cool seeing like how big of an outsized impact a company can have. So to see you all leading that space has got to be so exciting for you. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I should have also mentioned that we're a global company. Um, so I also have a team in Europe. And, you know, we're looking to continually expand not only domestically, but internationally. So let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. So first off, what's your overall marketing strategy and how does demand fit in? Well, um, our overall strategy, as I would, I would characterize it as you know, two things broadly, and then I can get more specific. But um, we really take a very thought leadership approach to our marketing, our content, and even our campaigns. So for the most part, don't even talk about our products, but we talk about for example, regulations that companies must adhere to and what they need to worry about and best practices and things to consider um, as they're, they're grappling with how to um, you know, adhere to a, a particular regulation. Um, we also, uh, because we're a SaaS software company, we have a lot of data across all of our customers of which we have 13,000 customers globally. And we can provide benchmark data to say, here's here are certain trends and in certain key areas in, in risk and compliance. And so um, we find that that works really, really well because we're not just like, hi, I'm Susan from Navix Global. I'm here to sell you software. Um, we're really trying to meet our customers with the things that they're concerned about and worried about and have a dialogue with them. Now, we we do supplement that with some salute, what I'll refer to as solutions-oriented campaigns. And in that perspective, I like to take a very, very integrated um, approach. So it's really important that any sort of campaign that we have that's focused on a particular solution or even the thought leadership, we have all channels pumping in the appro- appropriate way and in sync. So, um, you know, that's that's critically important. And I think that you get more lift that way um, as you're, you're hitting people where they they are with the message that you want to receive, whether it's at an event, although we're not really doing those other than virtually right now, or a webinar or an email campaign or a website or an ad that they they, they see on the internet. So um, making sure that all of those things are, are in lockstep and super powerful is critically important. Who's your buyer buying committee? Yeah, it's pretty broad, um, particularly for larger enterprise accounts, as you can imagine. We typically uh, sell to chief compliance officers, 
chief counsel, uh, chief risk officers, um, IT security, because there's a lot of risk-oriented things that have to do with you know, security that the IT folks are concerned with. And now that we're in ESG, it introduces some additional audiences. It can be investor relations. Even boards are, are now as a part of it. I mean, not directly, but definitely an influence. And sometimes, you know, our sizable or uh, deals uh, do have to go up to, you know, a board level approval. So it's a quite, um, it's a vast network of people that we do have to influence um, and reach out to because it's not just one person. It's not an easy one call and you get the order sort of, sort of a scenario. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's Ben Horowitz a, a while ago, right? Wrote a post about this. And I always, I always refer back to it of like, when you buy a certain type of software, um, it could be a software for one person, it could be a software for a team, it could be software for a department, or it could be a software for a company. And something like an HR software, for example, affects an entire company, like every single person is a stakeholder, like a communications channel or whatever. And what you're talking about, obviously, you know, you, you, your product has, you know, clear, you know, owners and things like that. But also, it's just, it's such an impactful um, thing across like various different departments in the company. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting because, you know, so one of our products, for example, is compliance training. So, for example, most states require you to have workplace harassment training. It's a requirement that every employee must take it every year. Now, that decision for our solution is driven probably by legal and HR and, and the chief compliance officer. But the consumer of the actual product is every single person in that company. So um, so having a great user experience with our software is, is incredibly important important for us as a business strategy, certainly as a product strategy, because it could be um, a retail clerk at Walmart who has to take training on, you know, their phone, and we have to make that super accessible and super easy. And so what's your org look like? How do you organize to, to acquire those counts uh, from a marketing perspective and, and flowing into sales? Yeah, so we have a you know a, a really strong demand generation team and marketing operations team who, you know, are really the backbone, of course, of demand gen. And then there's also a team in the in the UK supporting our international efforts. Um, and um, one of our mantras, by the way, is global first. So anytime we develop a campaign, whether it's it's initiated in our international office or initiated here in the states. We're guided by Think Global, and so how can that campaign be tweaked or adjusted to meet multiple markets? That's cool. Yeah, it's it's really helped, and I've seen that was just a really big push this year, and in our international uh, demand gen has in, improved dramatically because I've got you know a much larger team here in the states who are now thinking about international; they're not just thinking about the United States. So that's been what a smart idea. I know that that's like such a <laughs> It's such a simple thing, but it's so smart because I think that's exactly what we don't do so often, right? Is like, especially in America, like you're in America, you think about America, you're thinking about Ohio and California and, you know, whatever else. But when you're a global company, it's like, it's just so different to create a global campaign versus a US-based campaign that if you're not starting from the very beginning with that, that's, that's a, that's a huge issue. 
Yeah, and, and one of the things I failed to mention when I talked about my org is I also manage the BDR team. I was going to ask. Which as a marketer, we all love that. Um, it, it's working really, really well because then we make sure, you know, these are in fact followed up on and, and we have purview over that. So that's a critically important team that I'm investing even more into currently because it's, it's just it's such a critical handoff between marketing and sales to have that piece really uh, running and humming um, as effectively as possible. So, um, so that's been an exciting shift this year as well. And your customers, what do you have like, uh, you know, like size industry vertical, like what, what types of, what are your customers? Yeah, really good question. I mean, clearly there's um, different geographies um, and we're aligned by geographies. Um, We're not terribly verticalized. Our our solutions are quite horizontal in nature. However, there are some exceptions there. So highly regulated industries such as healthcare, for example, we do some custom verticalized campaigns that really speak to the, the unique needs of the healthcare industry. But for the most part, it's horizontal. And then from there, it's size of customer, right? So we have an enterprise team of AEs, as well as mid-market and then small businesses. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items? Well, I would I would say they're all digital. Um, website absolutely critically important. If you think about it, all of us, anytime we're researching a product, it's well. First of all, it's word of mouth, like uh, like we were just doing offline, and and second of all, it's doing your inter- your research on the internet. So having a fantastic website, I refer to our website as our number one salesperson. It does generate the most leads for us, and um, it certainly it, it, it helps educate people on what we have to offer and the value that we bring. Secondly, I would say webinars, you know, particularly now with us not being able to do live events any longer because we did do quite a few and we've had to make up those leads through webinars. And I actually I actually have been a fan for webinars for many years because some of many of us were so busy and to get in a car and drive to um, a live event or to get on a plane now is quite a big commitment. And it's much easier, of course, just to find an hour in your day and be able to call into a webinar. So that would be um, another key thing that I would never cut. And then I guess, you know, just all the digital marketing, digital spend, we're doing a combination of digital advertising, particularly geared towards those. We just deployed Sixth Sense. And so we have a lot of great buyer intent data that we're getting from that, that we can really identify which accounts are in market for our various solutions and do some very targeted advertising via that channel. So I would say that would be the third. Let's start with website here. So um, how has that kind of changed recently? What are you, are you doing anything now with your website to drive more sales? For your number one sales rep, how are you resourcing them? Yeah, I probably not enough. I've only got um, two, um, actually one person right now uh, <laughs> managing it all. She is absolutely a superstar, but we have two people who are about to come on board and um, and then through an acquisition, there's a, a fourth person. So I think once we have all four people, that will be much better than just having one. You never want to have a single point of failure, which I clearly do right now. But suffice it to say that the website is changing every day. 
day, constantly doing A-B testing. We're constantly optimizing pages, adding pages, adding additional content uh, to drive SEO traffic. And then uh, another really exciting thing we're working on, because I, of course, own all of marketing, which includes brand. We're in the process of really rolling out a whole new look and feel to our brand. And so clearly that impacts the website. Uh, So that's a project that was uh, a really near and dear to my heart this year. And really, um, it's not only all the, the pretty colors and pictures and imagery, but it's also tighter value propositions. So it's a very big effort across the entire marketing team, content marketing, product marketing, and the digital team to uh, get that effort underway. So we will launch a new website at the end of the year. And, you know, the, the scary thing, anytime you make a big change like that, is you hope you don't break something in the process. So we will do our darndest to just make sure that we're doing testing before we push things live to minimize any you know, negative impact. So it's probably good that we're launching it over the holidays where things sort of slow down anyway. So if we do hit a roadblock, which hopefully we don't, wish me luck. Uh, but if we do, we, you know, we won't be impacting business terribly um, much. Yeah, so much luck. You've been with the company a couple of years. So have you been, have you had the, the rebrand in the back of your mind from day one uh, and you just waited? Yeah, I, I absolutely did. And um, it just wasn't the most critical thing for me to tackle when I started. It was actually two, exactly two years ago last week. So I had my two year anniversary. Yeah, but there was, you know, A, just getting up to speed and really understanding the industry, the products, building relationships across the company, not just with my team. And, um, you know, really, you know, some other low hanging fruit that I, I focused on last year, but this year um, I've been able to focus on some bigger, more strategic things like the international growth that we talked about and the think global first, as well as this whole rebrand and, and repositioning effort. So you mentioned webinars. I am so curious. How do you think about webinars? Are you, do you have kind of like the, this is our, our sales specific product specific type webinars and then just like, hey, general helpful stuff kind of webinars? Like how do you kind of, uh, how do you mix up your, your webinars stack? Yeah, I mean, back to the, you know some of the original comments, they're, they're mostly more thought leadership focused or, or solution focused. We do have a balance because we have different, you know, different goals for different product lines. So we want to make sure that we are generating enough demand across all of those. So some of it's a, a mixture there. We use, you know, customers in them as well as industry thought leaders to have more of a, a pull and it becomes less of a sales pitch, you know, which nobody really wants to hear. We are looking to augment it. Uh, and this is in process right now where we're going to do some group demo type of webinars. So people who maybe they sat in that initial webinar and they say, gosh, I really want to learn more about your solution for ESG, for example. And then we can get in, get, you know, a group of people on for maybe a quick half hour demonstration of ESG and, uh, you know, entice them to take a call from a sales rep after that. So um, just trying to move it one step further down the line. So we get, get them at the top of the funnel via the broader webinars and then, you know, get them with, with these demo, short demo types of group demos um, to move them further along the, the, the process. And then the final piece here, you talked about data. What's kind of your approach there? In terms of measurement? Yeah, just in terms of, you know, finding and measuring and, and acquiring accounts and kind of that optimization piece that you said that you've kind of been working towards. So the company that, you know, Navix Global is uh, backed by private equity. Suffice it to say, our board is made up of 
private equity people who are very financially savvy and they like numbers. So board meetings are filled with metrics, 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 sliced and diced every way till Sunday. Um, and so it takes a lot of prep, of course, because they, they're really smart guys and gals and they um, ask some really, really tough questions and you never know what they're going to ask. So you have to be super, super prepared. With that background though, I mean, what at the end of the day, what really matters is for me is are we making our bookings goals and are we hitting our revenue targets as well? Because part of making the revenue targets is to make sure we don't have customers churning and assess software companies. So that that's ultimately what really, really matters. And marketing's main contributor to that is the pipeline, the marketing um, originated pipeline and the marketing originated bookings. Now, suffice it to say, there's a ton of metrics from the very top of the metric, everything from website traffic, et cetera, that we track, um, you know, how many leads we're generating, how many MQLs, how many sales accepted leads, um, and also just the conversion rates along every step of the, of the way. So I would rather, quite frankly, frankly, improve our conversion rates because you don't have to work so darn hard to get so many leads at the top. Um, so that's that's time well spent. And, and certainly, um, if you can crack the code and getting your conversion rates higher, you you can you know not have to spend as much money just shoving leads in the top of the funnel. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great point. Uh, what are some of your conversion uh, tips here? Well, I think it's just examining everything at every single stage. Um, and it's not just a cursory examination, but it's looking at, at it, in, in my case, by segment uh, and by product line, as well as by geography, because they're different. If you look at it at a macro level, you might miss the, the weak points in it um, because it might look overall, it might look fine. But if you dig into the details, you may realize, oh, for, you know, the enterprise segment, we're actually doing really poorly. So let's push them, you know, let's shine a light on that and really examine that. Um, I also think as it moves, you know, between marketing to the lead gen team and then to sales, those handoffs are critically important to look at too. So if you have a sales accepted lead, but it's not moving to sales qualified, why is that? And that's a conversation you need to have and dig into with sales ops and, and sales leadership. If it's um, MQL um, to SAL, then that's kind of more of an indication that maybe the leads aren't as good and the meetings aren't as good and we need to do a better job of getting very high quality leads in the hands of our lead gen team so that when they do set up that meeting, the sales rep will go, this is a great hot lead. So those are areas that I'd like to kind of you know, you have to look at a lot of data and, and look at everything from many different angles to get to what's what where where the weak spots are and how to address them. What's one channel or tactic that hasn't been working or you think might be fading away? Well, I mean, well, clearly we used to do a lot of events and we're not doing that right now. Um, and even though live events are starting to come back, we've taken a conservative approach to not participate in them and certainly not hold any ourselves just for, you know, we're just being, you know, in an abundance of caution for our employees. We don't want to put them in harm's way. So I think that that's one thing, you know, I, I certainly don't do direct mail ever um, as not a tactic that I think is terribly effective anymore because I don't even know where people are working because everyone's working from home now. So that would, if your business is dependent on direct mail and a business to business, I think that would be a really bad spot to be in. And I'm not sure yep. that many people are in that, that boat, but I, I suffice it to say that that's not something that, uh, 
uh, I would ever invest in. But, you know, my last company, we tipped our toe into some sports marketing and things like that. And while it's a super fun thing to do, it, it just it wasn't necessarily the best uh, strategy um, in my previous role. But, uh, you know, I'm maybe not the biggest fan of that one. Yeah, you know, like I, I love... I love sponsorships and, and sports marketing and stuff like that when it's done like really well. And you just have to like really make sure that you're aligned and that it all works and that like the product is the right fit for the audience and the athletes and that you're going to be able to get outsized returns, right? Like, you know, I, I interviewed, I forget who it was, but they had sponsored a basketball team for the Jersey logos and they had a super young rookie that was like awesome. That one, I think rookie of the year. And it was like, that's great. <laughs> Your logo is on the like top selling rookie Jersey. Who's going to be good for years and years and like all that sort of stuff. And like they were doing all sorts of, you know, cool things with that person and local in the community and all that stuff. Like, that's a great way to do it. If, if people are just kind of like chucking their stuff at sports and just hoping for the best. Cause like, Hey, I like golf. So we're going to sponsor golf. Like probably not great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think sometimes it, it, it becomes more of a, it's an ego thing for whoever decided that this was a good idea and, uh, you're, you know, they have their favorite sport or maybe favorite player and they say, we always oh, should do this. And, uh, you know, I think it works really good if you are a very large company with a very broad audience. And, you know, in the, in the case where I was sort of roped into doing it at my last job, uh, we were focused on one vertical. And it just didn't make sense. And it was a sort of a local golf tournament and it was a lot of money and a lot of effort. And by the way, it was super, super fun. But, you know, could I show ROI? Absolutely not. I mean, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, the CEO really wanted to do it. And so, um, you know, I, I argued with them quite a bit about it. And then and then I had to get on board with it. So I so I did. And then we made the best of it. And uh, through that golf tournament, uh, it was a PGA golf tournament. And they had a relationship with the the Golden States Warriors Foundation. And mm -hmm. so we leveraged that and we got Steph Curry to play in the tournament. Oh, that's sweet. And we got a lot of coverage, um, nationwide coverage out of it. So we, it was kind of like, you know, taking a lemon and turning it into lemonade. So, uh, so it, it ended up a good story, but uh, in terms of driving actual closed business, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put a dollar figure to it. Lemons get a bad rap. I feel like, uh, lemons have, have, uh, <laughs> I love lemons too. I know, like, right? Yeah. Um, we need, we need to change that. <laughs> indeed. Um, I will have to think of, of something else. Do you have a favorite campaign that you've, you've worked on, uh, over the past couple of years or, or just favorite campaign ever? My favorite campaign ever was at Ellie Mae, which was the company I just referred to, which was focused on it's enterprise software for the mortgage industry. And um, it's a very highly regulated industry as well. So there's a theme here in, in job trajectory for me. But there was a, a very, very big regulation that was coming out. This was several years ago. And everything was acronyms in that business, as we all tend to love to do, just to keep it confusing for everybody. But it was this um, acronym called RESPATILLA. And I can't even probably recall everything that it stood for, but it was uh, truth in lending. And it, it basically radically modified the way that the mortgage 
the mortgage lenders had to process loans and, and take applications, et cetera. So it was a super, super huge change for the industry. And it was very scary and it was very time consuming. And um, it, it just really, you know, impacted their organization. So we, we created, and I, you know, I'm like, Resotil, it sounds like, like a scary monster, right? So we created a character that looked like a fire-breathing dragon, or actually it was a dinosaur. And so we had a, a whole integrated campaign that was super, super fun. And it was like, we will help you tame Respatilla. And um, and there was just some, what sounds really cheesy, but it was, people loved it. There was uh, certain things we'd asked people to do to participate in the campaign. And if they did, you know, they took a picture of themselves and they posted it on social media. We'd send them this cute little dinosaur and there was four different ones and people were like would go crazy to collect all four of these um and so it was just a super fun campaign um but beyond that we themed everything because it was it was over an 18 month period our our trade show booth was around it you know we had um take your picture with respatilla um share it on social media all of our campaigns had the same creative layer to it and it was just super fun and people to this day in the mortgage industry will remember it and and talk about it and have those stupid little dinosaurs on their desk and it, you know i know it sounds so cheesy but it was just really really fun and really successful i love that anything where there's a mascot i feel like i mean if you're <laughs> if you ever uh look across the uh the bay here there's a gigantic building in downtown san francisco that part of it was was built on having a lot of uh fun little mascots <laughs> cruising around so it, it, it that's the best practice yeah, yeah, it, it was great. And at some point, uh, we switched, you know, our creative to, to a different thing. And it, it was all about, you know, helping people get in homes um, and uh, the American dream of home ownership. And uh, my dog, Hank, who's a Frenchie, became the mascot for that campaign. So our trade show booth looked like a house. And um, there was, you know, Hank was in front of the house and he was everywhere. He was at the golf tournament, too. So then how much are you involved in that? It seems like you, you have a pretty, you know, firm grip on those type of creative campaigns. Well, that's the really fun part of the job. I, you know, I, I just love that part. I mean, I love all, I, you know, one of the reasons why I love marketing is it's, it's both right and left brain. And so I get to exercise uh, both sides of my brain each and every day. The creative stuff and the, the, the branding is uh, something that I think boards in particular maybe sometimes overlook the importance of that you know it's all about the demand gen numbers and at the end of the day it's noisy out there and the creativity can be the difference between people paying attention to you and not paying attention to you so i think we have to take some risks as marketers to stand out and uh, be a little bit different and not all look the same and play it safe. So I, I'm a big, big believer in trying to do some crazy things. And, you know, I will I will get pushback sometimes from uh, my, you know, my current executive team. It's like, well, we're selling to chief compliance officers and they're very conservative and, you know, they won't respond well to, you know, anything like that. I'm like, no, I disagree um, because I sold to chief compliance officers at my last job. And and at the end of the day, we're all people and we all have of humor and we we appreciate getting um an email that 
makes you smile or, you know, you feel good reading it versus these dry, boring business speak emails that we tend to send, you know, in today's ever changing environment, you know, like do not ever start a campaign with that sentence because everybody does and you sound boring and you don't sound different. Couldn't agree more. I, I feel the same. Oh, my soapbox. No, it's great. I mean, I think that that's great advice. I mean, I think that so much of, um, it's not, I mean, you just look at like the average, like newsletter or whatever. It's like, like the same sort of thing. It's like, would you ever send someone an email and have like five different gigantic blocks? Like people are like, well, but it's our newsletter. We got to get out all this information there. And you're like, do you, <laughs> do, do you need to get out 2000 words about what's going on at your company? Like, are you tracking how many people are clicking on the different sections of those? Like, I think you could probably narrow it down and just write an email like a normal person writes an email, you know, highlight one or two things per newsletter and you'd probably be better off for it. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, I think we have to really, like you said, we have to talk to people like you would if you were writing an email to a, a, a friend. I mean, certainly don't be too friendly. I, I mean, I hate getting emails from people that I've never met and they say, Hey, uh, you know, like, don't say, Hey, you don't know me. Um, but if, if you knew me, I'd be like, Hey, Hey, how are you? Um, but you know, if it's a first email from somebody, you know, I just, I, I just wouldn't do that. And, um, I think, you know, I think one of the major shifts that we all need to make is think about, you know, that buying team and how are we, how are we speaking to those people on their terms when they're ready versus trying to shove it into our, our, you know, our nice and neat little funnel? Cause that's not the way people buy. And that's certainly not the way they want to be sold to. Let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension. That's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think that the dust-up that I mentioned with the golf tournament was probably the most memorable one. But, you know, needless to say, we all have disagreements in or, or different points of view on a, on a regular basis. And, you know, usually they're not huge dust-ups necessarily. But I guess, you know, what I, I advise my children, what I advise my employees, and what I try to live myself is if I've had a conversation with somebody and I hang up, or I leave a meeting and I feel uneasy that I immediately, as in within the next 24 hours, I call that person and I talk it through. Sometimes it's not immediate because sometimes you need to cool down and to do it in the, if you're, you know, emotional <laughs> is never a good idea. So, you know, giving enough space, but, but definitely dealing with it in a timely factor. If you're, if you see things are, you know, feeling out of sync or, or I've even, you know, maybe I said something that I thought was a funny joke in a meeting and then I, I hang up and I think, oh, I don't know that that landed the way I meant it to. And rather than just see if somebody will come back and complain to me about it, I will proactively go, I didn't feel good about what I said and, or I feel I may have inadvertently offended you and I, I want to apologize. And it's amazing how quickly things get better if you take ownership 
and own up to it and don't let things fester and apologize if you need to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What about your, uh, tell us the story about this, uh, this brand refresh and the road, the road bump, uh, your dust up, uh, that you had. So our the name of our company is Navex Global. And the reason our name has global at the end was many years ago, we wanted to, first of all, sound global, even though we kind of weren't, <laughs> Um, but we very much are a global company now in reality. Um, but the but the real driving reason was that somebody else owned the URL. And I'm sure many of the marketers listening have had this situation where you came up with a great name and then you couldn't get the URL. And so over the years, we tried to, through a broker, buy the, buy the domain. And we just were never successful because we weren't willing to put enough money towards it. And... Um, we finally got the okay, um, or I got the okay to increase the budget, and again through a broker, went um, attempted to buy it. And as it turns out, the person who owned the domain had it for a legitimate reason, but he was, um, or he is, a exotic used car salesman in Chico, California. Which, for those of you who don't live in California, Chico is a very small town, <laughs> and. Uh, there is a, a Cal State Chico um, uh, campus there, but uh, but anyway, so needless to say, deal you know trying to negotiate to buy a domain from a used car salesman was um, was anything but fun, but we prevailed and uh, we successfully got it. And so as a part of you know not only changing our name, so we will be shortening it. That's uh, what hasn't been formally rolled out yet, but we're also changing our logo and changing um, some of our, our product naming, our whole look and feel, um, as well as the value propositions about the company, as well as about our, our various solutions. So it's a major overhaul. So, you know, sometimes people think of brand and they just think of the logo, but there's so much more that goes into that. Um, and so we're taking a very holistic approach to this and plan to roll it out by the end of the year. I imagine, uh, Susan, that you're like wearing the, all of your, your armor and you're on, you're on your steed and it's like where many marketers have failed. I, sh I shall be the one who's victorious in getting this domain. Uh, we have, we have all been there. Yeah. Sometimes I can be a dog with a bone. So, um, you know, I, I, I tend to be a driver by personality and, uh, for the most part that served me well, sometimes gets me into trouble, but, uh, it's, it's who I am. Well, you know, what's funny. This is actually, it's very relevant because we've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of rebrands recently where people have chosen domains where it's like io.io or .ai or dot things like that. I mean, it's uh, SurveyMonkey, just our, our pal Leela, they just rebranded uh, to a new name and with the, with the .ai email. I mean, there's, there's other options other than like, you know, doing that. But I, I, th I think it's like a fascinating development in websites and branding and all that stuff. I mean, gosh, what, five years ago, you would never yeah. rebrand your company with, with a non.com, right? Like you just would never do it. So it's an ever changing, ever evolving landscape. It definitely is. And I think, you know, cause everything's, you know, websites and we need more, more no domain names. So we're getting creative. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay. Let's get to our final segment here. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with Qualified. You can go to qualified.com because Qualified Prospects are on your website right now and you can talk to them quickly. 
using qualified. They're, they're our best friends in the whole world. They've been with us since the first moment of Caspian Studios and the first moment of this podcast on Demand Gen Visionaries. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Uh, they're the best. Quick, just like these questions. Susan, are you ready? I guess I am. <laughs> Number one, if you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I'd be an architect or a designer. If you could suggest one person in the history of the world to join you and I on the next episode of Demand Gen Visionaries, who would it be? Dave Grohl, Foo Fighters. All right. We could get Dave. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. <laughs> I think we could get him. Dave? Uh, Dave, producer Dave? I feel like... Uh, we could get we could get your your namesake Dave Grohl. Yeah, he's he's going to be in Sacramento uh, next month because they're they're performing. So we'll just take the we'll take the podcast on the road. We'll bring our recording equipment and and, and show up. Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? I've been fixated with um, Ted Lasso. Uh, that is just the best show I think in a long time for so many reasons. Oh, it's the best. Have you seen it's it? The absolute best. It's like. It is the first show in I have in so long that like literally makes me want to be a better person. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be a better leader because of Ted. It's like, and it's not, you don't even feel corny. You're just like, this is great. He tweeted the Ted Lasso account tweeted the other day or today. I mean, I think, um, about, uh, a video of Tim or of Jim Henson. And it said, uh, something like, um, Jim Henson made you go from wanting to believe to make believe or something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, even their Twitter account is great. That's great. Yeah. And I even read an article yesterday in Fast Company and it was entitled the five leadership lessons from Ted Lasso. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it, there are some great leadership lessons in it. So plus it's just, a, you know, it's a bright spot and kind of, a you know, it's been a, a tough year and a half with COVID and everything. And so I can turn that on and it kind of takes me out of my head and, and entertains me, but also it, it makes you think. You know, I will say this as a marketer and a writer and, and creator and stuff like that. Um, and all of us as creators, I think it's funny so much that we look to like politics and sports and this and that for like our leaders when it's like, we're marketers, we could literally create someone to look up to. And that's, that's what that team did is they created someone who's not a perfect person, but is someone to, you know, look up to. And that's pretty rad. If you can, if you can do that, that's when, you know, content and media is at its best. Well, I can tell you this, Susan, we all look up to you. Uh, this has been a great episode. Thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. You're hiring like crazy. So if you want to go check it out and uh, and check out uh, Susan's team, go to navxglobal.com, check out the careers page. Um, what are you hiring for? I am hiring an ABM uh, marketing manager. I'm hiring a customer growth marketing manager. I'm hiring a director of PR and AR. Let's see what else. Um I have a whole bunch of positions open in London as well. So if any of your audience is uh, in the UK, let me know. Awesome. Well, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Any, any final thoughts, anything to plug? Uh, no, I think that's good. Thank you again for inviting me. Yeah, indeed. Oh, one final thing I got to get. What's your best piece of advice for a CMO who is trying to figure out their marketing strategy? 
I think it's really understanding the business goals, the corporate goals, and uh, where you can contribute the most, right? So at the end of the day, I think, you know, the CEO and the board is looking for marketing's contribution to the ultimate goals of the business. And so if we get too hyper-focused in the weeds of our campaigns, we may lose sight of the, the bigger picture. So yeah, you've got all these great stats in terms of, of um, you know, maybe your campaign um uh, KPIs, but if it's not really tightly aligned and relatable to those bigger business goals, um, you, you might fall short. So that's that's my number one advice. My second thing, I know you only asked for one, but I'm going to give you two, is it's all about the people. You need to hire really, really, really good people. And so, you know, we just talked about the fact that we have a lot of roles right now. And I personally am spending probably 25% of my day on recruiting because I know that I can't do what I want to do if I don't have great people on the team to help me get it done. I totally agree. I'm doing the same thing. I'm By the way, if you want to work at Caspian, go to caspianstudios.com. But I'm doing the same thing. I'm spending 25% of my day recruiting because um, it is a full-time job to find great talent. Um, well, thanks again, Susan. Really appreciate it to our listeners. Thank you as always for listening. You can check out uh, Susan and you can go to uh, navixglobal.com to learn more about their amazing company. Thanks again. Thank you, Ian. Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.